0: Commit ourselves into the hands of God. Just think about yourself for a moment. Hallelujah. We're going to journey towards the communion table. It's a very high place. A very important place. A very significant place. Not to be taken lightly. Not to be abused. Or treated glibly. God, as we Steady our soul as we steady our ship this morning. We ask you, come, Holy Spirit. Come near this place. Come into this place. We give you our lives, past, present, and future. We lay all before you. Come and take control. It in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated, guys. When my wife was a child of about eight years old, she was sitting in the classroom one day, and the teacher came into the classroom in an unusual way, closed the door, and the teacher stormed to the front. And looked at the class and said, someone has stolen some money. A child in this classroom had some money stolen from their bag. And the person who stole the money is in the room. So shut the door. And the teacher began to walk around the classroom to each child And look them in the eye and say, did you steal it? Did you steal it? And my wife began to go bright red. And her heart began to boom, boom, boom. And she looked terribly guilty. She felt terribly guilty. And yet she had stolen nothing. She didn't take it. It's her nature. The conscience is a funny thing. And people can make you feel guilty for things you haven't done. That's why the devil is called the accuser of the brethren. That's us. That's you. That's me. He's the accuser. And the reason he uses that specific tactic is because it's very effective. It works. When you accuse people, they can be put down. They can lose their footing. They can lose their focus in God. The accuser of the brethren, He is. Now, if that worked with my wife. One, two. Yep. If that worked with my wife, it can also work with me. She's a, a person of gentle conscience. At the top of your notes this morning, John chapter 3, verse 21, we've been looking at this for some weeks. If our hearts do not condemn us, that's your conscience, right? That's your heart. If my conscience does not condemn me, I have confidence before God, and I receive from Him anything I ask. I mean, that is phenomenal. I've been in the prayer meetings for the last few weeks, the all-night prayer and the Tuesday prayer. I have to say, they've just been fantastic. I've really enjoyed that and got an enormous amount out of it. Praying and going before God, getting into His presence here is just brilliant. But I'm excited about the promises of God. When my heart does not condemn me, when your heart does not condemn you, you can go before God and ask from Him anything you wish. Hallelujah. (laughs) Amen. Now, we began the new year. We're still in the same theme with presenting before God a clean sheet. Now, pay, pay very careful attention, folks. Listen to me closely. It goes like this, or you will never, you know, receive the fire and the baptism and the future God wants for you. Number one, you know the sin of your own heart. Yes, you do. You know, you already know. You don't need to ask God that. You already know the things you do wrong. You already know what you're holding. Yes, you do. Right? Put them down and you repent. That's step one, but you haven't finished. You're not done yet. That's just the beginning. Once you've done that, once you yourself have repented, then it's time to go before God for His light. It's a different phase. It's a different step. Once you know that there's nothing in my heart that I know of, then and only then, really, are you ready to step before God and you ask for the Holy Ghost to come upon you As David said, shine your light on me. Are you with me? Why do so many Christians remain in the cold? Why are so many Christians with wasted, trivial lives that they know and you know are not what God intended? This is one of the reasons. Yes, we repent. But only off, you know, in some ways, shall I say, the minor things. Because we need to get into the presence of God and like David said, shine your light on me. Shine your light into me, God, and reveal to me what is not pleasing to you. Did David bring down the fire? God help us. (laughs) Yes. David brought down the fire. Okay? But there's a procedure, there's a methodology there in Scripture, old and new, that you must follow and I must follow. So first I repent. Clean sheet. Secondly, I come before God. And in that, in his presence, he begins to reveal to me things from my past or my present that I do not, that I'm not aware of. And God himself begins to do the work. After that, I'm beginning to become ready, I believe, for God to... Now, that could be a lengthy process. That can take years. When God's light begins to come on you, we looked at unforgiveness. For me, when I wasn't breaking through and I knew I wasn't like everybody else at that conference, God revealed to me something with my dad. I mentioned last week, just for example, we could have a bad motive, right? And I want to give you some examples over the coming weeks so that you get the hang of it and then you can analyze your own heart, go before God with your own heart. Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23 says this, Above all, guard your heart. Above all things, guard your heart. For that is the wellspring of life, the source of your life. Guard your heart going to talk about the conscience today if my conscience does not condemn me if my heart does not condemn me i have confidence before god and receive from him anything i ask all that is according with his will of course second paragraph on your notes there the conscience is something which has been developed over time a long long process A long and painful process. It began on the tree. It was extended into the law. It came through the Word in the Old Testament. It came through Jesus Christ. It comes when the Holy Spirit comes upon us and reveals right from wrong. God has written the law in our hearts and the Word. But let me just work through those things momentarily. I hope I'm not going to go squeak here when I go. (laughs) Take a look at this. Here's Adam, right? When God created Adam... God created Adam without a conscience. Okay? So Adam did not have any inclination to right or to wrong. He, he had no tendency. The theological term, if you want to look at it, it's called equipoise. He was in a state of equilibrium. He didn't have a tendency towards right or wrong. He'd, what is a conscience? Right and wrong. Okay? good and evil. Adam did not have a tendency. Now unfortunately, as we know the story, there was a tree of the knowledge of good and evil conscience. Okay? So Adam was born with freedom, you know, the only human being ever born with that type of freedom, okay? And Eve. And God wanted to keep him like that without that knowledge of good and evil. Stay away from that tree. But what Adam did is he took the conscience into himself, the knowledge of right and wrong in the garden. We know the story and that fundamentally changed him because now we had a man of which you are an ancestor, right? Now we have a man who knows right from wrong but does not have the ability to choose the right, right? He doesn't have the ability to do that. Are you following me? It's important, you see, because Adam is your great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather. And the same problem that was in him is also in you. And you cannot, no matter what you may try to do, you cannot get yourself out of that. I've moved home three times in three years. So my life is boxes here and boxes there. Some boxes in Glasgow, some boxes in the boot of my car, some boxes where I'm staying. And I don't know how, but I managed to hang on to this. <laughs> this is my grandfather's death certificate. Now, he died in the First World War. He was a soldier fighting in Egypt. And my grandmother received this to say that he'd, that he'd be lost in battle and they couldn't find his body. 1915. Sad. Right? I've got his war medals as well. So... You see, there's Adam, and then there's all these different generations, and then there's my grandfather, and then there's me, right? Now, let's say I don't like my grandfather. Can I take myself out of this line? Is there any way out? The same blood that was in Adam came through all those generations, and actually, I know they're very clever with DNA today, but they, they, they still can't change your DNA, I'm afraid. So I cannot get myself out of this line. I'm in this line. That's just the fact of the human race. And the same problem that happened Adam, happened me. And I can understand God's perspective. I remember my son, who, who's a very gentle child, uh, James. He, he came home one day when he was about 17 or 18. And I, it, it grieved me so much. He was going out with some of the boys from school. And he said, they're going to a club. They're going to a nightclub. Now, if your kids have passed that age, you know how that feels. It just felt rotten to me. It felt horrible to me. I didn't want him to go to the nightclub. Because I don't want him to know good and evil. I want to protect him from that. I want to separate him from that. You with me? Yeah? Because I don't know if he's got the ability to resist the evil in that place. That's why I want to keep it from him. And that's what was happening in the Garden of Eden in the the grand scheme of things. God wanted to protect Adam, but Adam took into himself that which he could not control. He couldn't resist the temptation. Now, Adam's sin, the first Adam here, was neither good or evil before he fell. But after he fell, his inclination is now only evil. It's only evil all the time. It's never actually good. Genesis chapter 6. Take a look at this. Genesis chapter 6. I don't know. I think for me this is probably... I'll read verse 5. I think I've looked at this many times, but I still think it's probably one of the saddest scriptures in the entire Bible. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. The Lord, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. I mean, how severe can it be? Only evil all the time. So the Lord said, I will wipe man from the face of the earth, the human race I have created, and with them the birth. It's a very sad scripture, isn't it? That God did or said that or even had to think that. 1 Corinthians chapter, first, uh, chapter 15 verse 45. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 45. So it is written. The first Adam became a, a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. Take a look at this again, folks, because we're going to have communion in a moment. My grandfather, Adam... My grandfather, me. The line has fallen. The bloodline has fallen. How can God get me out of this? How can God get me out of this? I'm stuck. The first Adam. We need another Adam. We need a new bloodline. This bloodline is gone. This bloodline has fallen. And so God intervened in human history. He sent His Son. Okay? Taking on human form. So in the blood of Jesus, he's not just the Son of God, he's God the Son. So in the, in the, in the, in the physical body of Jesus, we actually have a new bloodline. Because this one is fallen. And we have a new, the, the, the last Adam. And his inclination is only good. Now, and I know it can be a little complicated when you first get a hold of it. But folks, if, if anything on earth can just make you stand in awe of God. And if you have any doubts that there's a God, if the penny drops on that, believe me, you won't have any doubts. You won't have any doubts. If If God can create a man, some people say, well, how could Jesus Christ be sinless? How could he never have sinned? Well, friends, I tell you what, I'm not sinless. My inclinations, I accept, Genesis, that the natural inclinations of me as a being are only evil all the time. I accept that. Take a look at the world. If God can create a man and his inclinations are only evil all the time, God can also create a man whose inclinations are only good all the time. Right. Correct? Right. And so the, 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 the human arguments that confront your mind that there is no God or this, that, and the other, friends, you couldn't make that book up you couldn't dream it up in a million lifetimes it, it is out of this world that's what it is out of this world out of this out of my mindset and when you start to unpack the reality of what god has done the enormity of what he has done you should really end up on your knees that's where it should bring us when we realize that how great our god is how intimate he is that he should Stoop down here to to save us. And I'll add something else there, folks. Think of the length of the plan. (laughs) Is this God in a hurry? Wow! Look at the length of the plan. It's enormous. It's absolutely enormous. It involves enormous pain for Him. It involves enormous suffering. Such a history is is mind-boggling. But this is our God. This is your history. You were born into a fallen bloodline. God Himself created a new bloodline through which we are born again. Not of the flesh, but of the Spirit. Amen. Amen. So this conscience that you have living within you, if my prayers are going to be answered, I'm going to have to know it like a mechanic knows a car. Right? Right? <laughs> Because John says, when my, when my heart does not condemn me, I have confidence and I can receive from Him anything I ask. Hallelujah. Yes. So I want to know this thing. I need to understand it, take it apart, put it back together so that the devil doesn't play tricks on me. So that I know who I am, I know where I stand based on these things right here. Scripture, God's Word. Standing on that rock solid firm, not just as a testimony, not just as something I say. Friends, I repeat to you, I do not say that I believe in the inerrant Word of God to please you. Trust me. I don't say that. I say it because I believe it. I believe it. That's why I'm saying it. And I want you to get to migrate to the place in your heart, in your speech, in all that you do where you live on that rock. There is no other place for us to be, particularly today, right? So you can look over history at how God progressively revealed to us right from wrong, whether it was through the law given to Moses that was part of the way down the road, whether it was in the life of Jesus where we see how Jesus lived and then we follow his example, whether it is the written word, the Old Testament and the New, progressively over history, God has consistently tried to tell you how to walk in a good conscience. He's constantly tried to get us to educate our conscience, which is what that book is, and also through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Constantly trying to get us to line up more accurately with him that we may be more powerful on the earth as we live and carry out his bidding in the kingdom. That's his goal. That's why we're here, right? The only reason we're on this earth is for salvation because worship will go on forever. But the reason we're, we're left on the planet is that men may be saved. Now, if you turn to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19, just in, in terms of the Holy Spirit, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19. Where is it gone? I know, I'm going to read it from King James Version, because it's the only version that gets this right that I know of. And this voice which came from heaven we heard, which we were with him in the Holy Mount, we also have a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you will do well to take heed. I, I, I don't know if you've ever studied that scripture, but for me, it's a pivotal scripture for anybody's walk with God, because as we look at the conscience today, I, I, I want you to understand your conscience is not the final rule. Now, I lost a, I lost a member once on this point, <laughs> right now, actually. <laughs> she was a minister from Nigeria. And she was sitting in one of our meetings, and and I was teaching on this topic and other topics. And I said what I'm just about to say, and I never saw her again. She came up very angry and stuff. Um, I said, you need to slow down, girl. You need to slow down. You need to slow down. Uh, But she wouldn't listen. Uh, What I said was that, yes, I will walk by my conscience, but my conscience will never be the final rule. Because your conscience, whether you like it or not, is faulty. It's wonky. And Paul is trying to point this out. But we have a more sure word. Right. The written word. The logos. This right here. So any rema or any prompting I get in my spirit, that's fine. Provided it lines up with the written word. Now, she couldn't handle that. And came up to me and said, how dare you. I'm offended. I'm offended. I said, just, just, just relax. No. The Scripture says the conscience is the candle of the Lord. I said, that's right. Yeah, just be careful of that candle. Be very careful. You should not, you should, it's surprising how someone on Sunday can have a very strong conscience and on Monday it's gone. Oh yes, oh yes. Very, 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 very weak. Very weak, as you'll see in a moment. So, but she would not listen. I I remember a guy used to come to my flat. I didn't ask him to come. He, he, He used to come and visit me regularly, telling me he was born again and he's sleeping with this girl. You see, and his point to me, and he was very, he had a lot of knowledge, um, I don't know why he kept on coming back, <laughs> because he come back for the same thing, because every time you come, I tell you the same thing. He says, Pastor Mike, you're judging me. What you don't understand is that my conscience doesn't condemn me. <laughs> I said, right, well, do you know what? Do you know what? I've got a book here that does, mate. Um, be careful that you don't let your so-called conscience, you know, but lead you down a wrong road. This book informs my conscience. And if my conscience contradicts the book, the book wins. Every single time. You will find that people will come up with all sorts of wonky ideas. If it's not covered by the book, no problem. So if it's an issue that's not mentioned in here and your conscience takes you, fine, no problem. But in his situation, fornication is covered by the book. So you can't tell me that you're, you know, you're right under God. I don't know what happened to him. But he just would not, would not listen. The lady would not listen. And I'm warning you, please listen. And let God continue to educate this conscience that you will grow from a place of little confidence in our prayers because the fruit is in, right? The, you know, the proof is in the pudding. Amen? Our prayers need to be answered. God wants our prayers answered. He wants to use you to pray and see that prayer answered. Hallelujah, Jesus. I had a good phone call last night, you know. One of my pastors, I took him in 10 years ago. He walked in the church in Glasgow. I'd never seen him before. He was a Pakistani guy. I said, hello. And he said, I just heard about your church. I thought I'd come and visit. I said, you're welcome. (laughs) And we talked just for a few minutes. And I said to him, do you know what I want you to do? Resign from your church and come and work for me. Hang on a minute! Can we slow this? <laughs> Can we slow this down? You know? No, I want you to go out, resign from your church, and come here work for me. I'm offering you a full-time job now. So he's, absolutely, absolutely. he did. He did. He's still there now. And together with him, we built the current Pakistani church in Glasgow. And it's just under a hundred people. But I thank God for that man because he comes from a religious background like me, Catholic. So your your conscience is all screwed up everything's wrong. You're always wrong. You, know? you wake up wrong. It's, uh, and if you, if you ever doubt that you're wrong, someone will be very quickly to tell you that you're wrong, right? I went to a Catholic school. And God help, I'm not you know, mocking him or anything, but that's the nature of the game. And he was a bit like that from his past. But he rang me yesterday. He's just put his life on the line. He risked his life. He went to Dubai. He went to the Taliban area of Afghanistan, where they asked him to dedicate a church. You know, and he was telling me about the trip. He's currently on a news cycle in Pakistani television, Christian television, because he's a, de- he's a deliverer. He's a genuine deliverer. If there's demons in the room, he'll find them. <laughs> I'm going to bring him here in April. If this if this if this building is empty in April, don't blame me. He's, he 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 is ruthless. He's ruthless. I scared you all now, haven't I? He's absolutely ruthless. But they, they brought this handicapped, uh, crippled boy in to one of the meetings and someone managed to get it on the camera and that's what's on the news cycle. The, 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 the crippled guy, Freddie, went over, like, I'll be god I walked around and they followed him. And now they've got it on a news loop. So he rang me last night saying he's had a heap of invitations. I'm not surprised, Freddie. I always saw that in you. I saw a good man with a good heart and a good future. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So he he grew over the last 10 years. And I'll share later in the leaders meeting, I believe there's hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people just like him. They just need to learn how to (laughs) repent in one thing, let the Lord deal with you, and come into the fire. And walk in the fire. And he's trained himself in that and is walking in it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We have a lot to do. So your conscience, fantastic. I fought, Do I live by my conscience? I follow my conscience, but I will correct my conscience and not obey it if it doesn't line up with the Word of God. Simple. Halfway down the page, the issue with my conscience is that it's faulty, and that's a scriptural fact. I, I can show you it if you want, actually. 1 Corinthians 4.4. 4. 1 Corinthians four. 4. In fact, 4 verse 2, I'll read from there. This is Paul talking. He understood this very well. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 2. Now it is required that those who have given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I am judged by you. Hallelujah. I'll come back to that in a moment. As long as you're concerned, folks, about what people say about you, you're you're finished. Paul says, I care very little what you think about me. I care very little if I'm judged by you, or by any human court indeed. I do not even judge myself. See this? My conscience is clear, but that doesn't make me innocent. Eyes forward. Paul is said, I've cleared my conscience, I've gone before God, but that doesn't mean I'm ready, I'm still seeking God, I'm waiting on His inner approval, if you like. That's where the unction comes from. That's where the anointing comes from. That place of peace with him, which he alone can give. Hallelujah. Amen. So be careful, folks, especially with with today. I, I, I shudder when I look at the churches today because I travel a lot and I see a lot and it scares the life out of me. It, it, it really does. When you see where the church is going and, and what's happening, may God help us. May God really help us. The issue, halfway down your page, the issue is that your conscience is faulty and you need to accept that and let scripture educate it and guide it. You can see a faulty conscience in exemplary behavior. I mentioned that last week. I've got a problem with someone who's always going the extra mile or whatever. Uh, You know, it's not good. We have a rule in Glasgow because of our lights are not like these. And when the kids play football at the end of the meeting, they were breaking the lights, you see. So we have this rule, no football. You're not allowed to play ball games. And time after time, I would come into the church on Monday morning or see them on Sunday and they'd be like, don't play football, don't play football. But you come in on, I take all the footballs away. If I find one, I hide it. But still, I come in on Monday and you know what I find? They actually make the ball out of sellotape and boxing tape. They make it up and you know what I do when I find that? I laugh. (laughs) <laughs> but they think, you you naughty boy. But, but exemplary behavior? No. But at least it shows they're normal. you know what I mean? It shows they're normal. Just ordinary kids. And I, I actually like that, if you know what I mean. Don't abuse it. But I like it. And when something is the exemplary thing, amen, exemplary. absolutely don't hear what I'm not saying. But there is a relaxation as well. There's a love of God that's not a fear of God that we have to get to. And that's, Are you with me? Are you with me on that point? Secondly, you can see someone with a, a faulty conscience if they're able to turn it off. If I'm able to walk out the door and turn my conscience off. Or if I'm faced with an issue that is a compromise issue and it's no problem to me. That's no problem. I can just do that because I can just silence the Holy Spirit. Well, I warn you, friends, <laughs> the next time you're seeking God for a word... Don't be surprised if you can't hear. Because you said you were going to shut me off. You wanted to do A, B, and C, and you just ignored my voice. You shut me down, and then we no longer hear from God. And then it's, Pastor, have you got a word for me? Week after week, because people are not hearing from God themselves. Are you with me? So be very careful about the compromises that people will try and entice you into. Always remember, if the the Holy Spirit is prompting me, I need to obey that prompting. And I don't care how simple the prompting is. I don't care how simple it is. The, it, the, the question is not... I, I don't need to ask myself how simple is this guidance. I need to just obey. I'll give you an example. What was I looking at? I was looking in a shop in Boots because I've got to travel this week and I needed a new toilet bag. And I went into Boots just to buy a toilet bag, you see. So I go down... And I got this toilet bag. I don't want that. I turned it round and I put it back on the shelf. But I didn't put it back the way I found it. The label was the wrong way. I just shoved it back and walked. Wo- and I just felt a correction. Go back and put that thing straight. <laughs> Someone's just packed those shelves. There's someone working here. Don't be so disregarding of others. So I went back and just put it right. Amen? Yeah. Now, We can laugh, but you see, if I don't obey those tiny little things, God is a gentleman ultimately, right? And once we start disobeying those tiny little things, and anyway, what is a tiny little thing to you, you know, can turn into a massive thing, right? You were just told, you know, to do this instead of that, and when you obey, you discover an enormous response came out of that. Have you been there, right? surprising things so be careful to not turn the spirit off not turn the holy ghost off even when it seems as if it's irrelevant or it's not important if god is speaking it is always important and don't use human judgment to judge those things that's a very foolish way to live so exemplary behavior fine but be careful of it if it's got the wrong motive behind it Secondly, if I'm able to turn on and off my spirit, I've got a problem with my conscience. I'm actually controlling it in the wrong way. Self-punishment. You will see people often punish themselves. I'm talking about born-again believers. Put themselves down. They punish themselves when you speak to them. They're thinking wrongly of themselves or whatever. You can't punish yourself, folks. There's nothing you can do for sin. That's why he had to die on the cross. That's the wrong road. It's the wrong road. Self-punishment is not good. People can expect disapproval. And ultimately, friends, and this is where it hurts, if my conscience, if I haven't dealt with it correctly after God spending so much time to try and help me deal with it, ultimately, I don't enjoy worship. I don't enjoy coming to church. And I don't enjoy fellowship. And, Pastor, by the end of the day, a normal Sunday, I guarantee you, You'll get a text message from someone who's missing this morning. And the text message will say something like, Oh, I wasn't well. (laughs) Nah. 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 Don't believe you, I'm afraid. Struggling with that. Fact is, conscience slaps people down. They can't stand up. And they wake up and they think, I'm not going to the house of God today. Amen? Amen. It's true. And when you get those text messages, you get those phone calls, we need to get behind the scenes and ask people where their lives are and why they are not happy and willing and kicking the door in to get in here. Amen? Amen. You don't need to be put down. You don't need to be tortured by your own conscience. Or self-segregation, which is what that is. It's self-segregation. When people cut themselves off, they're actually punishing themselves. That's what they're doing. I don't deserve to go today. I shouted at my wife. I shouted at my husband. Amen. Don't nudge each other here now, right there. Amen? So you assess your own conscience and see how you're living within the confines of that and the expanse of that as God gives it. There are types of conscience, and I'll, I'll just quickly go through them. But they're, they're very... Oh, by the way, let me say this. When I say conscience... I'm not talking about being politically correct. Uh, it's a, a completely different thing. One of, the, one of the tragedies about the modern church is that our pulpits are getting shut down. One of our evangelists in Glasgow was arrested because he gave a very civil answer to a gay guy in a street evangelism uh, time that they had. And there were two gay men in the crowd and they shouted up at him. So he got arrested put in prison overnight. He got fined a thousand pounds and he got deported back to America. Uh, this two years ago in, in Sterling, actually, not Glasgow. And all of that was because of political correctness. That's what it was. That's all it is. And I, I warn you folks, do not buy into this PC stuff. Because they're trying to... I, all day people come after me. You shouldn't say that. You can't say this. You can't say anything anymore. <laughs> Isn't it? You can't open your mouth anymore. Pastor, I don't like the way you said that. I said, tough. Suck it up. Amen? No, I'm serious. I'm absolutely serious. Can you imagine going up to Jesus? and said, Jesus, you need to rephrase that. Or Paul. Paul would take your head off. But it's, a, it's turned into a PC world, and the PC world is getting in our churches. And they're trying to shut us down and stop us preaching. I'm telling you guys, don't buy into it. Jesus was not PC at all. Not at all. Now, let me warn you about something because there's two different types of things going on. There's communication, okay, and there's preaching. Two very different things. And you turn on the God channel or you go to many churches. I tell you, I'm not a communicator, by the way. I don't do communication. I'm a preacher. It's a different thing. And you can sit under the best communicators. And they will stuff your brain. So fat, so full, you won't be able to get off the seat. All communication, all to the brain, all to the intellect puffs me up. Makes me feel like like the Gnostics. Makes me feel like I know something nobody else knows. And I walk through that door with my chest puffed out. I learned something new today. Are you with me? Well, what do you think God thinks of that? Not much. It's not about the knowledge. Knowledge has a place. But communication will kill you stone dead. And I I know, folks, you know, it's not my first rodeo. And people like you sit and look, oh, that's a bit strong. (laughs) That's a bit strong. No, it's not strong at all. It's actually maybe you're just not used to bridging. Maybe you're not. you, you, You see this here. This is communication in our pulpits and on, you know, got, on Christian television. What it does, it's 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 all externalized, right? It's all objective. It's all someone else. That's what it is, and it's it's education, and it's never it's never to do with me. But Scripture talks about a thing called preaching when it's always got to do with me. Scripture hits your heart, and if you are sitting under every week, listening and not changing. What are you listening to? Communication. That's all you're getting. The Word of God. If if it is the Word of God, and if it is preached with power, it will change you. It will change you. So don't resist it. Don't resist it. Let it in. Don't buy into this stuff. Don't buy into it. It's a culture. It's a trend. It's part of what's happening in the world. Don't buy into it. Don't let it get you down, man. Don't do it. We're turning our churches into kindergartens. Really. And we're treating people like sissies. We are. We're treating people like sissies. Like big girls. Excuse me. Big girls. We are though. We are. Do Do you know what Scripture says? The kingdom of God belongs to violent men and only violent men lay hold of it. And if you ask the average lost person on the street to close their eyes and give you a picture of a pastor, do you know what they'll, they'll close their eyes and say, oh, I see a man with a squeaky voice standing in a pulpit. And he's wearing a frock. Yeah, yeah. He's got a frock on. Yeah, I can see him. It's very subtle, folks. It's very subtle. But they demastralize, if that is a word, the gospel. That's what they try to do. And then when the, when the lost people meet a real one, when they meet the real church, they've got nowhere to put it. It wasn't their traditional image. I hope you're not like that. And whatever resistance is in you, friend, it needs to go. Because it's not your friend. And your conscience may have been softened up and lightened up to a place where, do you know what? Anything goes now. Well, Anything will never go in the proper arena. It will not. You should be convicted. I should feel In my heart that I need to change. Isn't that correct? That's the purpose of the Word of God. Not to, you know, put me to sleep. But to create me. To continue creating me. Jesus. Look at this scripture. Just look this up this morning. Psalm. I'm going to read it, I think, from King James Version. Psalm 119, verse 165. King James Version is the version that gets it right. Psalm 119, verse 165. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Nothing. So when you find yourself, and this is what happens everywhere, when you find yourself getting offended by this, I'm offended by that, I didn't like this, that that shows a lack of the love of God, right? A lack of the love of His Word hitting my spirit and changing me. And altering me. Amen. So there's three types, principally three types of conscience the Bible speaks about. The first one is in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7. Let me read that. It's the weak conscience. And if that's us, if that's me, if that's you, I need to analyze that, accept it, and then start to work on it. But not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that they can eat sacrificial food. They think of it as having been sacrificed to God. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. So the first classification, if you like, that Paul makes is that some of you, some of you in this room right now, have a weak conscience. He's just talking about practical things. But if I tolerate that in my system, ultimately I will never break through to the realm of power. I won't. Because it's going to keep me limited all my life. He's talking about food and drink here. But it's not going to stay an issue of food and drink until we deal with that, and then we'll move on, right? How do I know if I've got a weak conscience? Well, if I'm easily condemned by myself, if I'm easily condemned by others, if I'm easily condemned through through preaching, if you like, right? Or if when people envy me. that's That's a major issue, actually. When people accuse you. It's often because they see something in you that they want or they're trying to chase your life, right? But weakness in conscience is not a good place to live, not a good way to be. We need to have strength in that. If my conscience does not condemn me, I have confidence before God. I ask whatever I want and I receive it. That's not weak. That's not weak. So if that is you, identify what's caused that. Identify it. Find it. I worked in a mental hospital for five years. I always say it was very good preparation for being a pastor. <laughs> it, it, it was a locked ward. And there was this new guy who came in one day. He was only 11 years old. But it's a very sad case. His name was Darren. And they brought him into the ward. And he ran over to me of your hand. And he took my hand and he started to hit me with his hand. Took my hand and hit himself with my hand. Now why would he do that? Because he'd been abused. And the only thing he knew was abuse. And when he saw someone, oh, I know what you do, and he began to hit me because uh, because that's what happens. That's who I am. Sad, isn't it? I actually special, what called special. I looked after that guy one to one for a long time, myself and two others, and actually we did a good job. He was he was better by the time he left that secure unit. He did that in the natural, but if you're not careful, you do that to yourself spiritually. We beat ourselves up, we do, because it's all we know. Especially as I mentioned, with my background, a, a, a Catholic background can put you down. Maybe your parents. We're not the best in the world. Maybe they preferred this brother over this brother or that sister over this sister. And that has such a damaging effect on the psyche without us knowing it. Subtle little thing. But we end up putting ourselves down. that's a weak conscience right there that needs to be corrected, needs to be educated with Scripture. How do I change it? Read the book. I read what God says to me I read what God says about me, and that becomes my opinion now, right? So if that's your history, because it is partly mine, it's partly my history. Remember, I had nine brothers and sisters, and you know that, that's a lot of people, and they were all, you know, much more better than me. And so you live in that environment, and that does shape your psyche, your career right now. Where do you work? Your your studies how are they going how are the how are the grades in comparison to everybody else you need to just stop and don't let those things define you don't let them define you if you do that you shouldn't let that happen a strong conscience won't let that happen that's what Paul's getting at but a weaker conscience will be defined by external issues instead of how god describes me the second Type of conscience. The weak is the first one. The second type of conscience is the seared conscience. Oh, this is bad, eh? It's 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. Speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Sad word. It means that I had an operation high on my stomach about two years ago, high up here. I have a scar across here. It's beginning to disappear slowly. But the nerves are damaged. And I can, I can feel all, but I can't feel that little half-moon shape. It's damaged. It's like seared. It's like burned skin. It doesn't have any feeling there. And that's what Paul is warning of here. Oh God, help us from a seared conscience. I'd rather have a weak conscience than a seared conscience. A seared conscience is a terrible thing because it can no longer feel. Have you seen ISIS? Oh, man. Is there any humanity there? Seared conscience. Any scrap of humanity disappearing over generations where people have done such barbaric actions that now the children's children have no concept. No thought of what is evil or what is good and what is right and what is wrong. And look at the result. A seared conscience is a, is a, is a very dangerous and, and bad thing. I, I'll give you an example from this and it may be a bit harsh of me to use the word seared but <laughs> I got in a right hot debate some years ago. We were in Ireland and the, the, the middleweight boxing champion of Ireland is one of our members. He's a friend of mine, Graham. And he's a big lad He won the title, and he was in our church, you see. So he used to sit with me, but I used to say, Graham, I want you to stop boxing, They say I don't like you boxing, friend. I want you to give it up. And one day we had this pastor. Pastor Rick was there and several other pastors, and the the, the issue came up that I was saying that he shouldn't box, you see. So they said, why do you tell him not to box? He's born again. He's a Christian, and he's famous, and everybody knows that. I said, that's right. So if it was rugby, I wouldn't have a problem. If it was football, I wouldn't have a problem. Because if you hurt somebody in rugby, you get sent off. It's against the rules. If you hurt somebody in football, you get sent off. In fact, nearly all of the sports, even many of the martial arts, you're actually not allowed to hurt. I run into a problem in my conscience, friends, when I'm actually, the, the, the whole purpose is to hurt. And that's why I'm separating Graham. Well, I tell you, in the room, no one agreed with me. Including Pastor Rick at that moment, because it was strange to him. He had never encountered boxing before. And I stood alone, and they said, so do you still think that? I do think that. And he's my member, by the way. So I will continue. Do you know that in one of the boxing, listen to this. The idea of boxing, by the way, the average boxing match, the boxer receives... 250 blows to the head. Your brain is not attached. It floats in water. If you're taking notes, just write down my my brain floats in water. (laughs) Your brain floats in water inside your head. And concussion is when you... And you shake it to the point where you're not able to be conscious. So at one of the boxing matches, we had Christians, not sent by me, I only found out afterwards, Praying in tongues around the ring that a born again Christian would knock the guy out. Oh Lord, oh Jesus, God help us, God help us. And so in that in that meeting, um, the meeting ended and it ended abruptly with the guy saying, you, I, "I need to think." I said, "No, no, I'm not backing down. You guys need to think again." And this is why Pastor Rick's the leader. Because he's the only one who came back. Only one who came back. Three days later, walked in the room and said, I need to talk to you. You were right. And we were wrong on that. Implement whatever you need to implement. We we just didn't get it. I tell you what you don't get is the rough and tumble of rugby, because one of those guys was a rugby player. The rough and tumble of life can, can sear your conscience so that you're no longer able to tell right from wrong, you know? And by the way, I I know some very well-known boxers. John Conte was the lightweight champion, and I know both of his brothers. They were in our church in Liverpool for a while, Michael and Tony Conte. And the only black boxer ever to go all 15 rounds with Muhammad Ali was Ernie Schaefer, and I know him as well. So it's not just Graham. I've had this conversation with everyone. You need to be nice when you're talking to no big, big guys, you know. <laughs> Ernie Schaefer has is still on record as having the heaviest punch that ever was recorded. That's why he went all 15 rounds. Very very nice guy. Still, as far as I know, he still attends the church in uh, Waterloo in Liverpool. He works as a bouncer in the city centre. But I had many conversations with him after his time in the ring. He now walks with a he, he just. He he can't come into church, right? You know, uh, and he never did argue or debate with me on it. But I I think it's important that we don't let culture, a love of sport, society, or anything else dictate these things. It makes us look crazy. If you've got a Christian praying in tongues that you're not, come on, guys. That's just that's absolute madness. Amen, isn't it? It's absolute madness. So be careful of your conscience. Yes, I've got it. Yes, it can guide me. But the Word of God and Scriptures much, must ultimately guide me, overarching all things. And that's how I end up in point three with a mature conscience. There are many Scriptures here. I'll just read one. I've given you several you can look at in your own time. Uh. I don't know why my thing keeps on playing up on me here, sorry. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have within you. But do this in gentleness and in respect, keeping a clear conscience, or if you like, a mature conscience conscience. And basically, a mature conscience, which is our goal here, is a place I need to get to where people don't judge me. Paul says, I don't care what you think about me, right? People no longer judge me. I no longer judge myself. Paul says, my conscience is clear, but that does not make me right. So I don't let people judge me as such, nor do I judge myself. I define myself through scripture through the Word of God, and I let that dictate who I am and how I shall live and perceive myself and definitely how I shall pray. Amen? Amen. Do your life. You only get one life, guys. One life. <laughs> one. You only get one shot at this. Do yourself a favor. Do yourself one big favor repent of everything you know leaving no stone unturned not one thing remember Samson not one thing then take some time this week and place yourself under the spotlight of God and ask him to reveal and that may be huge it might be big it might be little you never know till you get into that presence where God is at with your life And ultimately, he will begin to mature who you are spiritually, your identity, give you that, and you can become the person that you were made to be. If I could have someone on the keyboard, please. We're going to have communion. In fact, it's probably a perfect time for us to have communion right now as we think about these things and we set our conscience right before God. I want you to prepare that, to to prepare your heart.